One, two, three. Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help you be a smarter Amazon seller. So like you have a few insights that you can start working on tomorrow. And I think we've got a few good things. Actually, we've got a few mindset things that I always like to think that not just be good at stuff. You also have to just have like the right mentality and approach. So I have with me I'm Andy Eisen who has been in the Amazon space for a while and has a podcast with probably two to three times more reviews than this podcast. So he is experienced and has been educating a lot of people for a while. Hey, Andy, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Scott. I'm excited to be here. So what got you to uh, create a podcast? Like, when did you start and like, what was the initial push? Yeah, as far as my podcast goes, I actually had a business podcast before my Amazon specific podcast. Okay. And I was talking about random online businessy stuff because I've been passionate about business. I went to business school. I've been really, really into entrepreneurship and business for gosh, almost 10 years now. And when we started our Amazon brand back in 2019, shortly after that, like first six months, right? We weren't doing crazy numbers by any means, but we were launching and growing and scaling and a lot of friends of mine and just followers on my other social media accounts kept asking like tell us more about this amazon brand and stuff that you're doing and so since i had a previous podcast history i kind of knew how podcasting was worked i knew like okay podcast is easy i just got to turn on a mic i can just yeah. talk i don't got to worry about video and all that so it's like oh, let me just i'll just record a quick little podcast eight episodes put it all out there and then i can just tell people I don't have to have these hour long conversations with everyone <laughs> telling the same thing over and over. I'm like, yeah. Hey, I recorded eight episodes. Go take a listen. It'll tell you everything you need to know. I actually really like that approach. Even if you didn't continue afterwards, there's something about like a series that just like kind of like, you know, there's a beginning and an end. I listened to one just a few months ago. It was actually like the business of gaming. Um, and how it's evolved from like, you know, console to today they i think the final model they call them the forever games these games that just like just keep evolving you know you think fortnite but like the creator of this podcast it's called gamecraft if you're interested but like you know just eight episodes and i loved jumping in learning and then i kind of love having an ending <laughs> knowing that like you covered from the beginning to the end so i think that was like a really smart idea to kind of like because as I've evolved as a podcaster, like I really try and talk about like what I find is the most interesting, but it's not like I'm following a specific format. It's not like we're going to cover, you know, like here's the A to Z on how to do private label or how to do reselling or whatever. So that's cool. Clearly it worked, but then you kept recording. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I mapped out those first eight episodes. Like, like you said, the full A to Z, like here's how. I literally just told people what we were doing to get our Amazon brand mm -hmm. launched and scaling in eight episodes. That was like 30 minute episode, four hours or so. And I thought when I was done, I was like, there is no way I could talk about anything else. I literally just told everything. It was like sitting down at lunch for four hours and just giving all the details. And so I was done. Like I launched those in February of 2020 and I stopped. And it wasn't until August that I started recording again. But during those six months or so people were messaging me saying hey like when's the next episode coming out and i'm like what do you mean i literally just told everything there's nothing else to say like there's nothing else to talk about and i thought at the time i was like i don't know what else to talk about 
And so from there, what I did is people just kept asking me questions. They're like, Andy, I listened to the first eight episodes, but question. Yeah. And so then I was like, okay, I'll do an episode answering that question. And then again, it would just keep coming. Andy, I listened to your eight episodes, but I had a question about credit cards. I had a question about working with business partners. I had a question like, what do you think about that? And they're just asking more and more questions. And so that's literally how the next episodes evolved was I would just, I was like, oh, that's a good question for an episode. Record an episode. Yeah. And then here we are, like I'm almost 300 episodes later and I'm still like, I cannot believe that there are 300 episodes worth of content worth talking about related yeah. to Amazon and still going into the future. I'm like, sometimes I think like, is there anything else I could really cover? I feel like I've covered everything that I could possibly cover. Yeah, like Amazon does change and we're going to talk about that mm -hmm. towards the end, some of the evolutions. And I have covered the same subject more than once, but things change. For example, you know, Seller Fulfilled Prime was interesting for some types of businesses and it was kind of down for a while. Now it's back and it's back a little mm -hmm. bit different than before. So, mm -hmm. and then you look at the brand tools that are available. Plenty of stuff to cover that, that actually I haven't yet because I just don't feel like I'm an expert. So <laughs> I'm not going to jump into it. Now you were sharing your success that one of the things that you found is that like, you know, you were just open and honest about, I feel the same way that like being transparent has only benefited me. I don't know if anyone has like, you know, been like, Oh my goodness, he does this. I'm going to, mm -hmm. um, you know, just copy him. Mm -hmm. Like, good luck. I've got two selling businesses, you know, most people in the podcast know about Buy Boxer, a large wholesale business. And then I acquired a private label business called Upstreet. And here I am, you know, I spend a little time every week on it. But like there's a strange, some people are very guarded in the space. And you mm -hmm. never know why, you know, mm -hmm. maybe there's private people. Maybe they don't actually sell on Amazon. It could be any of those reasons why people are guarded. So how do you feel about you being transparent? Do you think it's ever hurt you? I definitely feel it's done way, way more good than bad. This is the philosophy I live by. Because in fact, I've had in-person conversations with, you know, friends of mine about Amazon because they see the success that we've been able to build and people see the lifestyle. They see how simple. I mean, I say simple, but it's not easy, but it can be like a business that you can run in a few hours a week once mm -hmm. you get everything lined up. Right. And so people see that and they're like, dang, that looks pretty nice what Andy's doing. Like, I want to do that for myself. But the big fear a lot of people have is, Andy, what if someone copies my idea? The answer I give to everyone, literally every friend of mine, if your product or brand gets popular enough, they will copy your idea. It is inevitable. If your product gets successful enough, someone will copy it. If it doesn't blow up, if it's not that successful, people probably won't copy it. It's out there on the internet. Yeah, I work in the space of transparency, giving that to people. At the time, I get it. I get the concern of people like, I don't want people to know what I'm selling. I don't want to talk about it because what if they copy me? But then again, at the same time, it's like, you have to understand there are software tools. You don't have to use Jungle Scout or Helium 10 or no. any tool, right? There are Chinese sellers, brands, companies just going on Amazon looking for what is the top selling products, what has lots of reviews. Amazon even yep. puts it out there. Like it's on the listing yeah. where it says 500 purchase in the last month. It's no secret what this is successful products are. And even if you're shopping in a niche, like, oh, I'm shopping in 
pillowcases or drawer organizers or whatever the niche is, you can see what the best selling product is. And so Chinese brands and other sellers know this. So to me, it's kind of funny, like that fear. If you have that fear and that fear is like crippling you, please don't get into this business because when you're successful, people come in. It's not just on Amazon. I've been selling for about 10 years and like I think of some of like the best products that we were selling and they don't last more than a few years. Even like our private label, like the most successful ones, those ones that bring the competition. Here's an interesting story. So I was active on Reddit for a while, just chatting and very smart guy came to me and worked for a very large brand. I think they were doing, you know, hundred million a year. Eventually started chatting and he told me the storefront and I was like, well, I was making a case to him that like I could tell their estimate revenue. This is before that I built Smart Scout, but you know, he told it to me and I built it all out because I had a, I started developing around some of these Amazon stuff like as, as early as 2017. And sure enough, I got close. And if I can do it as a hobbyist, like so can others. And I started looking more into this brand and I'm like, well, Turns out they actually had patents around a few of their products. So like they've created some defensibility to their brand. And I think you kind of have to do that. Whether sure patents are helpful and if you have enforceable patents, even better. But that just having a product and selling it isn't enough. Then you have to continually improve and learn and adapt to what's going on. So it's just very interesting to see the brands that stick around and then the products that kind of, they lose their glory. They kind of get mm -hmm. notched down. So that's something that like Amazon's going to be around for 10 more years and it's going to happen again. You know, we think right now that like it's always going to stay the same, but it's actually not. There's going to be a few changes. So I don't know personally why I think people really just need to keep learning. You kind of have to always be dialed in a little bit. Yeah. I, uh, going off kind of this concept of surviving, building a brand. We just saw recently the market research came out from our friends, my friends over at Marketplace Pulse showing that for the first time in a while, Chinese third party sellers passed U.S. third party sellers mm -hmm. again. For a while, there was more U.S. third party sellers yeah. than Chinese, but now it's back in the favor of Chinese brands. And again, to me, like it's kind of going off this, my personal belief of, you know, this barrier to entry just keep getting lower and lower and lower. And a big challenge that a lot of US sellers are going to face starting now into the next three, five, 10 years is branding. Our big advantage as US based sellers was branding. We understand American culture. We understand branding. We understand aesthetic and those sort of things that resonate right. with our customers yeah. on Amazon up until this point, right? It's pretty easy subconsciously for customers to kind of pick out a Chinese brand. You can tell, you can tell by the brand name, you can tell by the images, like it's clearly photoshopped. Like it's a super low price. It's pretty obvious. Like subconsciously, we can kind of see that. Now there is a huge market for cheap stuff on Amazon and people are going to keep buying that. But there's also a market of people who want a little bit higher quality, a little bit more premium type of thing that they want to buy on Amazon. Well, again, the big differentiator up until now was us as U.S. sellers, we could create that premium brand experience on Amazon with our listing, with our photos, with our videos to separate ourselves 
to build a more premium quality brand and charge a little bit higher than the Chinese brands. But what is going to happen and probably already happening with AI, right? It's easier now for Chinese brands, Chinese sellers to look like American brands. To, to talk like them, they can't just translate. You can tell ChatGPT, like, build a brand story around these three ideas, and it will communicate that so much more effectively than mm -hmm. if they were to translate it themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. seeing adoption of AI in China is pretty big. They use it quite a bit. And that's what's going to be tough. If your only differentiation strategy is better listing, when we're talking to Amazon, like better photos, better video, better A-plus content, right? To show the customer, hey, I'm a US brand. Yeah, this isn't just some Chinese cheap brand. If that's your only differentiation strategy, there will come a time where the Chinese sellers are going to be able to build just as good of a listing as you can build. So it's going to take more than just really good photos to separate yourself from the Chinese sellers. You legitimately have to build a store. You have to build a brand, a community. Otherwise, you will not beat Chinese sellers on price. I guess just, we just have to accept that fact. They will outprice you. I like they can get tighter, tighter, smaller margins and profit. They are the manufacturer in many that's, cases. That's interesting. I actually really do buy into this community. If you can build a community around your brand, that doesn't lend itself to every product. So like right. products that are associated with a hobby are way easier to build a community mm -hmm. around. Because that's the type mm -hmm. of content that people like to learn about. They like to, right. to research. And you don't even have to like lead your community with your product. I actually came across a, a dog food brand and they actually started up around like dog training education. And that's how they started. They did dog training education. That's it. That's an education business like goes. And on the side, they started to build out some products. Put those products on Amazon. No one is ever going to be able to replicate that community boost to their business. And so it kind of feels like if you want to build something so differentiated, like they can't beat you there if you can build a community. Yep, that is going to be the game. And so that's why I tell a lot of my students now, like, hey, social media, guys, you can't neglect social media and not social mm -hmm. media in the sense of like, oh, promote my product, promote my product. Social media as a community. As like you said, like you could be selling dog food, but you're a dog training company dog training videos, dog training content, like you're going to have to get creative on how you can create a community. Maybe it is where you're selling, you're not just selling physical products on Amazon, but you're selling, you know, basically eyeballs, content creation, but also courses, materials, training services, like you're bundling all these together and your e-commerce physical products are just a part of your overall business strategy. One other thing that I tell people because you mentioned, you know, not every product is worthy of a community or like is able to have a community around it. A simple motto to live by that I tell a lot of my students is when you think about your product or the product idea that you have or what you want to sell, is it a conversation piece? Is it a product that could come up in conversation or a product that someone would want to bring up in a conversation? You might think simple stuff like, I think about the brand Stanley. I use this brand example all the time because Stanley is selling metal insulated tumblers, right? For like 40 bucks. And there are exact replica knockoffs for like $12. How on earth is Stanley still in business? It's because they have a community. There is a massive community of moms 
who collect Stanleys, who tell their other mom friends about Stanleys. And it's a legitimate like conversation piece. Like people talk about their Stanley mugs and why they like it, even though it's literally just a cup. So if your product could come up in conversation or it's a product that could make an impact on the customer to where they would want to bring it up in a conversation, then you know like you're onto the right track. That's why I tell my students, this is just, again, this is my personal belief. We stay away from like super basic generic stuff. Like the example I use a lot is coat hangers. I have never in my life had the thought, I need to tell someone about the coat hangers I just bought at the store. Even if they're really good. Like even if they're like, oh, these are solid, sturdy coat hangers. I'm never, hey, like, hey mom, I just got these really good coat hangers at this. Nobody's talking about coat hangers. And then again, it's like, if you're thinking about content online, like nobody wants to see your coat hangers. It's just a product that, yeah, I get people need coat hangers, but I will leave those products to the Chinese sellers because I'm the customer that gladly pays $4 for a 50 pack of coat hangers because I could care less about the brand. I just want a sturdy coat hanger that gets the job done for a super low price. Yeah, that's probably as bland as it gets. There's a few that are probably kind of in the middle. Think of like inexpensive kitchen products. I I know a brand that does really well with them. They're US based and they do really well with like five to ten dollar kitchen stuff that mm-hmm. just like flies off the shelf. But they've rolled it up into a, uh, an overall kitchen brand. Yeah. Here's why I actually think they're worthy of like brand building is no one innovates or pushes harder on primary photos than they do. You know, not I'm not sure if everything they do is crystal clear along TOS. They might be some gray area, but like they make those primary photos. It is a battleground. You know, they need to make sure that they're differentiated and just kind of next level. So like if it's a lemon squeezer, you know, you have like just like perfect looking lemons right next to it <laughs> that are, you know, cut and making this like primary photo. That's kind of like one that's kind of hard to build a community around inexpensive kitchen stuff. The top end kitchen stuff, yes. Or maybe if you have a portfolio of like 50, 100 kitchen products, you just like, you know, we just teach right. kitchen, teach cooking. Right. But if you have just like one or two, I don't know if you're ready for a community yet. Yeah, you brought up a great example. In fact, as soon as you said kitchen stuff, I actually immediately thought of Aaron. I was like, <laughs> okay, you bring, no, you're bringing up a good point. But to kind of go in on this topic, I think a lot of people, because we're talking new sellers, let's talk about people like, I want to start an Amazon brand, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people see that, like see those products, like the brand he has, the products he's selling, you know, low price kitchen, you know, basic generic types of products, right? A lot of people have very unrealistic expectations on what it takes to actually get to the level that they're at with that brand. Yeah. Like we're talking thousands of reviews and they're getting thousands of sales daily. And their profit margins likely, I mean, I'm speculating here, but likely those are tighter profit margins and they're playing, you know, the volume game of, yeah, maybe their profit's only 10, 15%, but they're selling 2000 of those a day, right? But again, you think about someone just getting started. If you're trying to go down that route of like, okay, I'm going to sell, you know, more generic type of products, low price, I'm going to be competitive on price to get to the level of rank required to push volume to get profit at those profit margins, you're looking at a really hefty investment. And I just think a lot of people just aren't prepared for that. They're getting into this, you know, five to $10,000. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to sell a $10 spatula. I'm like, 
K, you realize you're going to have to sell like 50,000 spatulas before you ever get to the level of like the top selling $10 spatulas on Amazon to where you can make a decent profit. So it, it's just like having your expectations like need to be realistic based on how much money you're like, if you want to go put a hundred grand or $200,000 into your Amazon brand, by all means, like go after those coat hangers, go after those spatulas. But uh, for people who have like, you know, smaller budgets, they're bootstrapping it. They need to turn a profit a little bit quicker. You're going to have to dig deeper. I think for higher profit margin, again, more of those community opportunities that you can push heavily onto social media and do some more sweat equity to get some sales and build your brand than just playing the pure, you know, volume game. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, there's the community approach. I almost think there's even an angle here around Kickstart. If your product could be on mm. Kickstart, you're probably mm -hmm. in the right direction. Actually, Kickstarter would be an awesome place just to like look at what other people do. I wonder if someone built a website around failed Kickstarts. Like, there's two different types of failures. There's the uh, ones that actually got funded, but they just dropped the ball in execution, or maybe they overpromised. Or there's the ones that never got funded. Interesting. It's interesting you actually brought that up too, because I actually just got an email two days ago. There's someone else in our space. I'll keep them private for now. But that's kind of a model that they kind of lean heavily on is the Kickstarter Amazon launch model to kind of, again, minimize that initial risk of saying, hey, you have a product idea. Maybe ultimately you want to put it on Amazon. But again, with how competitive it is and, you know, differentiated products might have mold costs, tooling costs. You launch a Kickstarter campaign to fund it because maybe it's 50, 100 grand to get that brand going or that product developed to basically finance your operation get your Kickstarter orders obviously fulfilled, but then now you have some cash, some working capital to keep the orders coming to push it onto Amazon and give it a better legitimate chance than someone who, like I said, has five to $10,000. And really for that product to be successful, they need 50 to $70,000. Jeez, now I want to create the smart scout for Kickstarter. <laughs> I think there's some cool I've stuff. Yeah. And here's the other thing too, like just throwing this out there with AI, like I'm definitely let's use AI if it can help us. And with AI, the cool thing now is it's easier now than ever before to generate these unique product concepts and product ideas before, you know, you're kind of just sitting in your room, like thinking like, oh man, like how can I make this product different? But now it's like, you can use ChatGPT. There's all sorts of apps out there that can generate product ideas and even do visual concept drawings of ideas. Mm -hmm. And then you can take a generated concept idea that's really cool and unique, throw it on Kickstarter and see if you can fund it. And if you can mm -hmm. fund it, there you go. Now you can go make it happen. And you've got a really unique differentiated product. You've got the funding now. Now maybe again, yeah. you could go apply for a patent for it if you want to do that. And I think that's a solid option for a lot of people who are really looking to create differentiated unique yeah. products. I love that. I didn't expect the conversation to go this way, but definitely pretty valuable. <laughs> Let me ask you one final question. You've been seeing some of the evolutions just in the past few years, you know, a little bit through COVID and beyond. What's the difference between new sellers from a few years ago to new sellers today? I would say new sellers from a few years ago, it was a lot more realistic to get started with five to $10,000. We started our brand with $5,000 in 2018, 2019. And we scaled that up to 
over a million dollars in sales in about less than two years. It was easier. It was easier to get started with a lower budget. Obviously, with more time, there's more competition. So go five years into the future to today, that five to $10,000 budget doesn't get you as far. One, because you know, you've got inflation and all that kind of fun stuff. But uh, two, it's just the barrier to entry is lower now. And so more people are getting started. So that five to $10,000 product that you could launch in that budget range, there's 150 other people launching that same product right now versus there weren't just simply weren't as many people five years ago doing that. So there's more competition. So it's really harder to execute now with a, a lower budget because your photos have to be that much better. Instead of going and paying 150 <laughs> bucks for a photographer to take your photos, you need to pay more for better photos, better editing, better infographics, better video. And even just on the product side, now, like instead of five years ago, ordering 200 units and getting started, now you might be forced to order a thousand, fifteen hundred units to lower the cost to be able to be more competitive to get your brand launched. So that the budget piece is definitely the biggest change I've noticed. And then also to like the expectations. You asked like what's changed between sellers now versus five years ago. The market has changed. Competition yeah. has changed. Budgets have changed. Yeah. But unfortunately, the expectations of new sellers has not changed. People still think like, oh, I just throw something up on Amazon and it just sells like hotcakes in the way they th it was in 2014. And it's just like, that's just not the case. You referenced Marketplace Pulse. There's actually a quote I just read and I, this is, wasn't like a lead of something that they said, but the way things are trending uh, with like selling e-commerce is the cost to launch, the cost stuff like, kind of like you know, FBA, let's talk about like maybe even the marketing, you know, the, the image creation, like that cost like is approaching zero. There's like things that just like efficiencies that make it easier and easier for anyone to do it. But the cost for getting people's attention is going up to infinity, you know, like, and that's like advertising, you know, and media, getting people like interested in you and your product, that's only getting higher as, mm -hmm. so there's kind of some reverse effects going on. You know, that's, why PPC has, you know, certainly climbed over the last six years as a percentage of someone's business. And yeah, very interesting. So I'm not sure if it's like 100% motivating knowing that we need to be a little smarter today than we had to be a few years ago. When you tell people like, you know, like, eh, it's actually not as easy. Like what's the, what are some of the answers to that? Is it just to be more skilled or like it's be more skilled, like where? Yeah. And here's the thing is as like a Amazon coach, I guess you could say, because I'm someone too who I create content to help people with Amazon. I obviously monetize coaching mentorship courses and stuff. And so it's hard because I'm the type too who's like, I want to be honest and transparent with people. But then at the same time, it's like, hey, by going out there and telling everyone like, hey, Amazon is a lot harder now than it was five years ago. Am I hurting my own personal business? Right. Am I hurting yeah. new student? Like, Am I going to get less students in my coaching programs? Because I'm telling everyone like, yo, this is hard. Like, don't do this unless you're serious. I haven't noticed, like, here's what's interesting. As I've continued to try to be honest and transparent with people about Amazon and challenges and difficulties, I haven't noticed like any significant drop off in like how many people are listening to my podcast, how many people are joining programs and whatnot. Because I think the people who really should be doing this, like who legitimately have a good chance of making this a success are the ones who actually are doing it. 
the people, I mean, the people that are, that were weeding out, I guess, by telling, you know, Hey, Amazon is tough. It, it requires more budget than, than ever before. Those people weren't really, those people weren't really meant to do it anyway. So like, in fact, I, yeah. I just kind of look at it out of the perspective of I'm saving you a lot of heartache by telling you, you were never a good fit for my course or programs anyway. Right. Like, so it does me no good to have yeah. a whole bunch of people in my programs who aren't successful, who don't yeah. reach success. I don't want that. That doesn't do good by me. It doesn't make me feel any no. better. So yeah, I think it's just kind of really weeding out the contenders from the pretenders when, you know, maybe five years ago, there was a little bit more commingled yeah. audience there. Yeah, I hear you. Well, Andy, great conversation. Went some places that I was, uh, I actually honestly want to dig in a little bit further. So thanks for jumping on. What's the name of your podcast again? It's super original, Selling on Amazon with Andy Isom. Well, <laughs> here's what's funny is I get to cringe every time I give you like, hey, welcome to the smartest Amazon seller podcast. Like, it's not quite my <laughs> personality, but it's still fun. It's a little cheeky. So check his out. Check this podcast out if you want to learn more, if you want to keep fresh. So, well, thank you so much, Andy, for jumping on. We'll wrap up and that's the pod. Take care, everyone. See you next week. One, two, three. Yeah.